Welcome to Down There Aware. I'm Alex. And I'm Mary, Alex's mama. Each week we sit down to discuss various topics concerning gynecologic cancers and women's health care. In 2019, at the age of 32, I was diagnosed with uterine cancer and became painfully aware of just how unaware I was of everything down there. On this podcast, we interview experts, share personal stories, and explore new research. No subject is off limits, so we caution you to listen at your own discretion. Hello, happy Monday. Welcome back to another episode of Down There Aware. We appreciate you joining us today. And this is the second Monday of September, which is uh, Gynecologic Cancer Awareness Month. And if you have been following us on our social media, which if you don't, stop listening. (laughs) Stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. Go to your phone or your computer. You can find us on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Pinterest, and on TikTok, down there aware. That's where we are uh, on every platform. And uh, if you do follow us, you've noticed that every single day this month so far, we have been posting facts and important information about gynecologic cancers. And so uh, we're excited to continue bringing more information and, um, you know, seeing people follow us because of the information we're providing and liking, commenting and saying, thank you. I wish I had known this. I had this kind of cancer. Thank you. I wish um, someone had told me this before about the symptoms. And so that's what we're going to talk about today a little bit is what to look for for uh, gynecologic cancers. Well, and clearly we are here because of um, the fact that you didn't have that before you were diagnosed with cancer. You didn't. And not only did I not have it, I was actively told yeah. that your symptoms are not cancer. You're too young. You're too young to get cancer. There's no way that these symptoms are um, because of that. It's because of your familial history. It's because you're overweight. It's because of whatever. But it definitely, definitely not cancer. Yeah. And I was told the same thing about you, that don't worry, this is not cancer, we're sending it off for, to pathology, but it's not going to be cancer. And that's routine. That's we routine. do that. We, we do, do that, that all the time. Don't worry about it. And that's true. It is routine. Um, and so, you know, I think my cancer diagnosis would not have been so jarring if I had a little bit more knowledge about it. And if you knew it was a possibility. If I knew it was a possibility and that, yes, my symptoms could lead to this. And I don't even remember, maybe mom can, but I don't even remember if I like really researched heavy bleeding or anything like that. Because I, I do remember learning about fibroids and how that can happen and cause bleeding, but they're not really anything to be concerned of. It might cause... Uh, fertility issues but other than that it wasn't a life-threatening situation so I wasn't really worried about it and when the doctor did my DNC and he said you had fibroids you had polyps you know the biggest polyp he had ever seen um we know now that that was a cancer tumor Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Yeah. I just, um, I think the fact that you've gone through what you've gone through and were jolted by the diagnosis because it never was in the realm of possibility, um, it really motivated you to go, wait a minute, young women need to know about this. They need to know it's a possibility, not to scare them or be dramatic or whatever, but to open them up to the possibility so they aren't shocked. And that's really how the podcast even began. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, uh, think back to when we first started doing TikToks, one of the TikToks I did, um, was, it was on trend and, and something that, uh, people did where they would point to areas of the screen and it went with the music and different words popped up. And I did it about cancer and how, old people aren't the only people who can get gynecologic cancers. And someone commented and said, thanks. Now I, my cancer scare radar phobia has gone through the roof and, and my anxiety is, and I can't sleep. And I, and, and I responded back and I was like, that is not my intention at all. The and what is so scary, I think about gynecologic cancers is oftentimes the symptoms go overlooked because they're so common, mm-hmm. heavy bleeding, pain with sex, bloating, um, you know, all kinds of irregular, irregular periods. periods. I mean, talk to a girl who has PCOS and that, that sounds like that, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's just so much that we want people to be aware of gynecologic cancers so that they can be aware and talk to their doctors and, um, have all of the information so that they can find things early. But on the other side of that, we want to balance it because we don't want to freak people out or scare them um, into thinking that the heaviest period, oh, I have cancer. And, you know, so it's a, it's a tough thing to balance. It is. And I think people, um, we've always said that knowledge is power. And the more you know, the better you can advocate for yourself. So if you don't share symptoms with your doctor and you don't ask questions, you can't be an advocate for yourself because the doctor can't help you if he or she doesn't know what's going on with you. So um, it's important to get the information, not to assume you have something horrible or to scare you, but to know, to, to know whether or not it's something that needs to be further addressed. It may not be cancer, but it might be something else that needs some sort of treatment. And I recently heard a gynecologist say periods should not be painful. Mm. Periods should not be irregular. Periods should not be super heavy and last a long time. So even if it's not cancer, you still want to talk to your doctor because that's not normal. A 28-day cycle, bleeding three to seven days worth, I think, what, two teaspoons of blood is the typical amount that a person uh, uh, bleeds out during their uh, period. If anything is out of the norm, out of those parameters for you, you should talk to your doctor because it could be anything. Mm-hmm. And um, and even just for your comfort, they might be able to help you change something, balance your hormones or get on a medication or something to where um, your periods are the way they should be and function for you um, and aren't painful or irregular. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning to your doctor. The problem um, might arise if the doctor (laughs) 
does what some doctors have done with Alex and say, oh, well, that's nothing to worry about or, you know, and that's when you um, either discuss it further with that doctor or you change doctors and you get another opinion. We even asked um, one of our doctors on the podcast about how doctors feel about second opinions and she said they understand and they want you to be comfortable. So, um, and if they don't, she said, then you need to get another doctor. So I, hearing from her in the field, I feel pretty confident about that. If you're not getting your questions answered, you need to move on to somebody who will afford you that respect and answer your questions. And particularly if your doctor is not well-versed in your kind of issues. So, um, you know, we know with my story, I went to my primary care because he was the one who prescribed the birth control that started the bleeding for a month and all of that, that led to my diagnosis. But as soon as he knew what had happened as a result that I had bled for 30 days and then he got blood work that showed that I was anemic, he immediately referred me not only to a gynecologist, but to a gynecologist who specialized in heavy bleeding disorders. You know, and props to him. Yeah, I mean, truly, because he knew and he was um, humble enough Mm -hmm. to say, I don't know everything and there's something going on. She needs to see a specialist. And seeing the specialist railroad just the whole thing it just kind of got the ball rolling and that specialist said we're gonna do this procedure and then a week later I found out I had cancer so it was boom 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 and it was overwhelming because it was so fast but I was grateful that I didn't have to wait I mean we've interviewed people like Johanna Holler who she had vulvar cancer and for I believe seven years had symptoms severe symptoms of vulvar cancer that are really common with that type of cancer and she begged her doctor for a biopsy and they wouldn't do one and that's the only way to diagnose vulvar cancer and so it became a later stage cancer by the time she was diagnosed and found a doctor who would listen to her so you know you have to be your own best advocate and it's sad to you know to a point but you have to be that person for you. And if you are dealing with minor children, you have to be that for them. Yeah. I mean, just think nobody is going to advocate for you better than you. Because you know your body better yeah. than anybody else. And it affects you. Everything <laughs> affects you. So why wouldn't you right. be an advocate for yourself? I mean, the side effects of the medication you're going to go on the consequences of having a hysterectomy and losing your fertility, the pain from surgery, the all of these things, yes, your support system deals with it, but you are the only person who actually has to walk that walk. Yeah, I think a lot of times people are afraid of what someone else is going to think of them, like the doctor. If I go to my doctor and I say, oh, I just have so much pain with my periods and I'm just bleeding so much there. Oh, he might, or she might think I'm just a whiny hiney and I'm just complaining and I'm a baby cause I can't take the pain. And well, you know, you have to weigh how much do you care? 
what somebody thinks about you against how much do you not want something horrible to be going on with you and you aren't addressing it. Well, and I think if we can dig a little bit deeper into your story there, that I think there's a societal issue. Um, We could probably spend a whole episode, series of episodes on this, but there is a societal issue where women are told to downplay their pain. Mm. And I, you know, I um, have some YouTubers that I regularly watch. And one of the people I watch is currently pregnant with twins. And she has very difficult period or uh, difficult pregnancies. And she and her uh, sister-in-law, who is also pregnant, um, were talking uh, in a video about how people who have never been pregnant or and also people who have had pregnancies but are not currently pregnant don't understand all of the symptoms and things that you that you go through and they minimize it and you know they were talking about morning sickness and saying you know my morning sickness felt like the worst uh flu stomach flu I had ever had but I was still expected to get up take care of my children and go to work but if I had the flu I would call in and lay in bed all day and so you know as a society how much pressure have we put on people to Um, you know, and that's just about pregnancy, but in general with your periods, with everything, you have to get up and go to work that day. You have to do what you're doing, even though you're in pain. Um, and so we've been taught not to, to really talk about our pain, which is a whole other issue. What I have tried to do sometimes is preface my question with, um, some sort of explanation that helps the doctor see my perspective. For instance, when um, I went, and we talked about this in one of our episodes, when I went to my GYN to check on um, some issues I was having that I thought were being caused by medication I was taking, um, I prefaced my question to her with, um, Because my daughter at the age of 32 was diagnosed with uterine cancer after being told she was too young to have cancer, I am going to ask you a question that otherwise I may not have asked, but um, I'm aware now because of her her experience. Um, Also, when I was at my dermatology um, appointment, my dermatologist was, it was just an annual uh, body check appointment. And um, when he was wrapping it all up and, you know, I was getting ready to go, he said, now, is there anything else you want to ask me about? And I said, well, I wasn't going to say anything. (laughs) And he said, that is the one thing doctors do not want to (laughs) hear, that you, there's something you're not going to (laughs) say. And um, so I did ask him about it, and it turned into a whole different appointment, as you will know if you listen to that episode. Um, So it ended up being a good thing. So I'm just saying from my experience, of course, I've lived 67 years, and so I know I have a few years on some of our listeners, but I'm telling you, it is so worth it. And not just to find something out, but honestly, it feels good to stick up for yourself and It feels good to know something one way or the other and not be concerned about it and wonder about it. You have an answer and um, you can act on that answer or not act on it if you don't have to. Yeah, I always think that being in limbo is worse than knowing good or bad. And I just want to put this out there for anybody who's listening. 
if you need to say that a friend of yours was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 32 and you just want to open the conversation, use me, blame me, say your friend is freaking out and wants you to make sure everything's fine because their parent, whatever, whatever you tell them about the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We have merch, get stickers, give them a sticker, give them a business card. (laughs) Um, But yeah, but for real, use, I don't care. Use me as an excuse, as a reason um, to open the dialogue with your doctor. If, if for any reason, you know, you don't feel comfortable just saying it, just say, Hey, I heard on this podcast or, Hey, I know somebody, um, because I would rather my story get out. I mean, I don't think I've been very demure about anything (laughs) at all on this podcast in the last 18 months. Um, so yeah, I don't care. Use me, do it. That's a great idea because some people might feel more comfortable, um, asking or prefacing a question bringing that up. And I do think it gives your doctor some perspective as to why you're asking the question. Well, and you know, when, um, when I was diagnosed, we have two, we have a family friend who is a gynecologist or was an OB-GYN and we have a a cousin who married an OB-GYN and those are kind of our two closest OB-GYN relatives, um, or relations. And mom immediately contacted them and neither of them. Now one man is in his seventies and the other is in his sixties. So they are a little bit older and they're both retired. Nope. One is retired now and one is not mom's shaking her head at me. (laughs) Um, and both of them said that I was the youngest person they'd ever heard of getting this cancer. Now they'd been in practice for decades. So we get that it's not typical and that's why doctors feel so comfortable saying, oh, it's not cancer. But I think if you open the conversation with, you know, somebody, um, they're going to know you're coming at it from a totally different perspective than just any patient. Yeah. And, you know, I think about the Facebook group I'm a part of. I, I affectionately call it the peach page. Um, and cause peach is the color for uterine cancer. And, um, I, I think about that page and how we all oftentimes it's just kind of like, why isn't this more, why aren't people more aware of this? Like we all are experiencing the same experience to a different degree together. And it's just kind of like this big question as to why don't more people know. And then I think about how small that microcosm is in the realm of all cancers and in the realm of all women and how, you know, even though it's possible and the, unfortunately, the trends are showing that more women who are younger are getting uterine cancer and gynecologic cancers. Um, and so it's just not as prevalent as it is in those microcosms. And so that's why we, we have to continue to speak out. And mom even said before we started recording this episode, she said, haven't we done an episode like this before? (laughs) And I was like, well, yes. I mean, but isn't that what our entire podcast is about? Yeah. Can't say it too much. We can't. And, you know, in that same breath, I want to say, I'm not trying to scare anyone either. I'm not saying that if you have a heavy period, you have cancer. 
first off, I'm not a doctor. And we keep saying And that. we keep saying that. We are not doctors. We are just sharing our experience and what we have learned through our own research. Um, and I know that that is a hot topic right now of people doing their own research. But when I say that, we are reading peer-reviewed articles. We are reading cancer.org. We're reading Mayo Clinic. We're we're reading reputable materials. Um, and, and when you're reading about something that you are passionate about, interested in, uh, really wanting as much information as you can get, you're going to read peer-reviewed articles. You're going to really go to the most reputable uh, places to get your research. It's kind of like when I was working on my dissertation, my um, dissertation chair said, when you're deciding on a topic, it needs to be something you love, you're passionate about, you're wanting all the information you can get because it's a long, hard process and you need to, you know, have the energy to finish it. And so that's the kind of research we're doing to try to just learn more. Yeah. And, you know, one of the posts we made this past week um, highlighted the number of women who are expected to die. Now that's based on trends and patterns and data uh, to die just of vulvar cancer in the U.S. this year. And that number is, uh, it's about 1,500 people, which is about half of the people who died during the 9-11 attacks, which we just, you know, went through the 20th anniversary of. And it puts it into perspective. Yes, 3,000 people dying in attacks is, is a huge number. 1,500 people is a huge number. But in the scheme of how many millions of people are in the U.S. and how many thousands of people are dying each day, it's a small percentage. And so that's why I think we need to get the word out because even though it's a few people, it's relatively, in air quotes, rare, um, gynecologic cancers affect thousands of people every year. And, you know, even though my chances of dying from this condition are very slim, They've had lasting impacts on my life and on my family's lives and on my future spouse's life. You know, whoever I marry, he's going to have to know we cannot have biological children. And that's just something that I have to deal with moving forward in dating um, whenever that happens. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just one of those things that we want it to be prevalent and and for people to be aware of it, but we don't want to freak people out because your chances of getting it are pretty slim. Well, and it's true too, when you talk about numbers, um, it compared to other cancers might be a smaller number, but like you said, more women, young women are being diagnosed with gynecologic cancers and there is a huge disparity in funding. And we're going to be talking about that in a later episode uh, in funding for gynecologic cancers. So just think about it logically. If gynecologic cancers are not funded adequately, there isn't going to be enough research to have better treatments, more effective treatments, and the numbers are just going to go up. So um, it's probably true that the numbers aren't huge, and that's why there isn't more funding. But what are we going to do? Wait till the numbers are huge before there's funding? No, so we're hoping to raise awareness about the need for funding for GYN cancers and uh, and try to get the word out um, about the necessity. 
in the news. Today's in the news is all about the COVID-19 vaccine. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and um, how being vaccinated and or not being vaccinated is affecting folks um, who need to have procedure, medical procedures and or surgeries. Um, and Alex has a personal testimony about that. But let's talk first about the reasons why people aren't getting vaccinated. Um, there's an article that we'll post a link to that talks about six different reasons people have decided not to get vaccinated. One is the lack of access, whether that's perceived or real, they feel there's a lack of access of the vaccine. Two is that COVID-19 isn't seen as a threat by those who don't want to get vaccinated. Three is that there are vaccine side effects. Four is the lack of trust in the actual vaccines. Five is the lack of trust in the institutions. Um, so I'm thinking like the CDC and the hospitals. And six, um, a variety of different conspiracy theories. Now, I think we have both said on air that we are both vaccinated. So we're coming at it from a biased perspective. Somewhat biased. I feel like I balance us out because... <laughs> Because while, yes, I personally chose to get vaccinated, I don't feel we should pressure anyone to get vaccinated. I do think it's a personal choice um, that people need to weigh with their doctor and with their family and all of that. Um, however, because I do feel that it's a personal choice, I think you should be smart about it and you should trust science about it. Yeah, we both um, are. We, we trust science. For the most part. For the most part, we trust science. So, um, but Alex was supposed to have surgery uh, last week and was called two days prior and told, we don't have a bed for you, so you will have to have that surgery postponed. And specifically, what was really interesting, so this surgery, um, I had my consultation a couple weeks before, and at the consultation, they warned me that, you know, COVID numbers were rising. The hospital was becoming inundated with COVID victims um, and that they, you know, were needing to kind of mitigate and they were going to schedule my surgery, but then they would, they would let me know if it was for sure or not. And um, when she was telling me though, it seemed a little bit positive because she said the hospital had cordoned off an area, a, a ward of the hospital that was for, uh, like overnight, one night, two night patients for um, inpatient surgeries that were not emergent and that um, it, there were no COVID patients anywhere near. And I had to get a COVID test and I did get a COVID test before um, the surgery was supposed to happen. And so, you know, it seemed like they had a plan, but apparently, and this is all just assumption because they ended up canceling my surgery, um, is that that ward needed to be used for COVID patients. Well, and, um, you know, this isn't assumption. Somebody I know who works at the hospital sent me some of the numbers of um, how many COVID patients are at the hospital, and that was broken down into 
how many COVID patients who were vaccinated and how many COVID patients who were not vaccinated were hospitalized. And it was about 94% of the hospitalized COVID patients were unvaccinated. Um, So that's why the subject of vaccination comes up today in the news, because it is affecting other people and their treatment. Um, And that's a you know, that's an important thing. Alex's surgery wasn't um, an emergency or it could have been seen sort of as elective, but that's predicated on the assumption that her hernia is not going to continue to suck up the tubing of her shunt because if it does that, then it is going to be an emergency. Well, and that's what the surgeon said. He said, currently your surgery is what we consider non-emergent necessary. So it's something that needs to happen, but we don't have to rush you in today. Um, And so, but then he said, he gave me some warning signs and symptoms to look for and to keep an eye on, on the, the hernia. Um, Because if he said, he said, if I experienced any of these issues, it would become emergent um, and become necessary. So now, but what's interesting is his definition of um, non-emergent necessary the hospital calls elective. Yeah. <laughs> so figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, even though my insurance is going to cover it, this is not like I'm getting a boob job, right? Like it's, it's a non-elective surgery. Um, however, in the hospital's eyes, it is elective because it's not necessary right now. Um, and so, you know, who knows if that ward that they had cordoned off was for co- is now being used for COVID patients or if it's being used for emergent patients who don't have COVID, you know, maybe it's still non a non COVID unit, but it's the gunshot victims and the people who have aneurysms or heart attacks or, you know, real serious issues. Um, whereas I can live with my tummy poking out a little bit more than it should. (laughs) Well, and we talked about, um, the same thing when we had COVID and I had a fit went into AFib, you know, I sure didn't want to go in the hospital because, there were people there who had COVID too, and they weren't um, getting better. They were getting worse, in fact, and I just didn't want to be around that environment. So I was really grateful it didn't get any worse. But the point is, there are people who need procedures, um, who are having medical, serious medical issues, and there isn't a bed for them. And that's um, that's just heartbreaking. And that was... In the news. Well, that was a very interesting in the news, and we hope you learned something. Um, thank you so much for listening. We, you know, we don't want people to be afraid. We don't want someone to think that the one day that they have of heavy bleeding or the one day that they, uh, you know, have major bloating to think that it's ovarian cancer, to think that it's um, uterine cancer. But we want people to be aware that they need to have an open conversation with their doctor, have an open dialogue, um, and so that people are getting their regular annual checkups. That is the number one way to detect uh, pre-cancer and to detect cancer early um, and just to get on top of it. Go to your annual exam. And, you know, everything I've read says even though – the CDC or yeah, CDC now says that um, women under 55 or whatever only have to have 
a pap smear every three years if they have never had any issues or, you know, funky cells or irregular cells or whatever they call them now. Um, But you still have to have an annual exam. You don't have to have the pap smear, but your doctor needs to do a vaginal exam every single year. There's so much that they can do um, and learn by seeing and looking at everything and feeling everything. They know what cancer feels like through a glove, you know, like that, that says something. So, um, and they know what to look for when they put a speculum inside of you, they know what cancer looks like. So just be on top of it, get your annual exams, get your mammograms. Um, when you, I think my doctor told me when I turned 40, that that would be the time to start going and getting a mammogram because I don't have any family, family history or anything like that. So talk to your doctor and ask that question. When should I be getting a colonoscopy? When should I be getting a mammogram? When should I? Because most of our listeners are my age, are between the ages, I think, of 25 and 45. And those are the women who need to be seeing their gynecologist every single year and asking those questions. Thanks so much for listening today. We are going to continue to bring gynecologic cancer awareness content to you on our social media platforms, we have Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, TikTok, Facebook. I said that. <laughs> we have all kind, just anything you can think of as social media, put in down there aware and see if we're there because we probably are. And like our posts, share our posts. You never know who's going to read it. You don't know which one of your friends might have something going on and might need to see that information. So go ahead, share the post, like the post. We really appreciate you doing that. Don't forget, next Monday, September 20th, is Wear Purple for a Cause. So we are wearing purple for Gynecologic Cancer Awareness Month Awareness. (laughs) (laughs) So wear purple, tag us, take a picture, put it up on your Instagram, put it up on your Twitter and your Facebook, tag us, let us know you're wearing purple. Um, we love to see all of our our listeners uh, just share the word, spread the word, let people know. And, you know, if people compliment you on your outfit that day, say, hey, I'm wearing purple for a reason. Don't just, you know, wear it to wear it. Wear it for a reason. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>